when you're a kid or when you are watching a kid grow up, when they fall, when they're trying to learn how to walk, you're not like, okay, just stop. Just please stop. Like you, you don't have this. You can't do it. Just stop. When they start trying to talk, you're like, quit mumbling. No one can understand you. You need to just stop. No, everyone encourages that behavior. At some point in our lives, we lose that. I don't understand when that transition happens of, okay, now it's not okay to fail anymore. Like you're done with that. If you fail, you're a failure. You know, like that's what a lot of people think. And it's just so not true. The truth is you're only a failure if you absolutely just stop something that you know that you're destined to do. It's no secret that the coronavirus is affecting all of us as individuals, but the effect it's having on business, especially small business, is unprecedented. We need a game plan and fast. If we're going to survive this, we need resources and we need each other. We can't do it alone. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. With my background in economic and workforce development, disaster preparedness, and general business strategy, I know I can help you navigate this scary time in your business and beyond. It's all about resiliency. I'll have the most current solutions and best practices available so we can ensure your business not only survives this crisis, but thrives. We'll also be keeping you informed about the latest resources for small business so that you don't miss a thing. Co-hosting with me will be my colleague, Sid Farakura. We'll have invited experts to help us navigate through the current noisy landscape of resources and programs that are being made available today and who will be able to prepare us for tomorrow. Let's do this together. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. Hi, everyone. This is Jesse Torres, host of Hack My Business. I'm here with my co-host, Sid Graz. Great to be joining you once again. Sid, how are you, man? Jesse, I'm I'm great. You know, just managing, like, trying to figure out a couple new clients and get some contracts done and somehow, like, manage the current clients that I do have. How about you? I'm in the same boat. It feels like everything is just constant overload of activities. I mean, obviously, it's all positive, right? I've never been busier, but it feels like it's all coming together right in the same week. Do you feel the same way? I don't feel like it's coming in together in the same week, but it is in the last kind of at least the last month. And I always think that there's this bizarre thing about when it rains, it pours. It was the same thing when I was single where like, you know, like you'd be, <laughs> I'd be living in the desert for like, you know, years. Let's be honest. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, my gosh, like, how did my game just improve, like, tremendously all at once? And it's the same thing, I feel like, here in um, in the world of business. You know, it's funny about that. It's always the same. It's the same principle. When you're not looking for it, and when you're not overextending yourself to achieve it, that's when it comes, right? Because you're confident, you're relaxed, you get the charm going. That's when the clients come in, man. It's totally true. But I want to talk about inflation some, at some point in time in this conversation, Jesse, because to your point about being super busy, I think it's really interesting to share that you and I just last night were having a text conversation about how do we really kind of like right size our price point for the work we do and just thinking about what does like a the cost of a chicken salad today versus what it was four years ago and what does that mean for like how we appropriately right size our our cost, our value? And maybe that's a whole other conversation we could have too, Jesse. But I think it'd be fun to like jump into that at some point today. Oh, I, I definitely agree because everything sure feels a lot more expensive these days. And you know, part of it is making sure that you're covering your costs. But yeah, definitely a, a topic for a future conversation. Although it would be great to get the perspective of our our guest who's joining us today, who is also himself an entrepreneur and get his thoughts. Does it feel as expensive to live these days for him as it does for us here in California? But why don't we go ahead and bring in our guest for today, 
Alex Sanfilippo. Alex is the founder of Podmatch.com and also the the host of his own podcast called Creating a Brand. Alex previously worked in sales in the aerospace industry and grew up and still resides in Jacksonville, Florida. He started his first business at the age of 12 selling used golf balls, which is just awesome. From there, he went on to real estate investing and, and did a technology startup, which he sold years later. And really for the past decade, Alex has been an executive in the aerospace industry during his time in corporate America. He stayed active with his side hustles, uh, which mainly consisted of conference speaking and business coaching. And I have to share, you know, we did, uh, you know, some research on Alex as, you know, as we are good, you know, podcast hosts. And there's a great quote from Alex that I wanted to share just to help us kick off our conversation. And the quote goes, no one knows what will happen when you step into the unknown. It's just that unknown. All you can do is take hold of fear and pursue great instead of good even when it means sacrificing the good. Take calculated risks when you can calculate, and when you can't, trust yourself and have faith. Sid, that's got to be one of the most eloquent things any of our guests have ever said. And so I'm just really excited to bring Alex on. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jesse and Sid. Appreciate you both for having me. And I would like a copy of that quote. Um, that sounded pretty good coming from you reading it. That was great. I really enjoyed that. But thanks for the great introduction. That was really something special. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, we'll put on t-shirts, man. We'll, we'll see you. But no, <laughs> that's a really lot of words for a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it, honestly, it does resonate because there's something, you know, Sid and I, we have our own respective businesses, right? And we also join forces on, on small business front, which is a, a business we, we co-lead. But we talk about risk all the time. And how do you take calculated risk? And in fact, part of our work what we do is around preparedness and resiliency. We're, we're also educating people about how do you take calculated risk? You know, how do you do scenario analysis? So, so your quote really resonates with us and the uh, the encouragement, right? Not to be scared of the unknown, but to dive in with some calculated reason, right? Which I think is really important. But Alex, we would love to learn more about, about yourself and your background you know, to kick us off. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll jump right in. I don't usually like to start as early as 12 selling used golf balls, but I feel like if it gets referenced, I have to at least bring it up. I lived in a neighborhood with a golf course, and one day I just found a golf ball by the water, and I was playing on the golf course, which I wasn't supposed to do, but I picked it up, looked at it, right as a golfer was riding by in a cart, and he said, hey, kid, he goes, what kind of ball is that? And I like looked at him like, Titleist Pro V1, and he goes, if I give you $3, will you give me that ball? And I was like, yes, so I traded him the ball, and then in my head, just a light bulb went off, and I was like, if I could find more of these, will they give me $3 again for it? And long story short, me and some other kids in the neighborhood started collecting, cleaning, and selling used golf balls. And uh, so it was like a fun little business. And it was an interesting time in my life because at that young age, I hadn't been good at many things, which is kind of weird for a kid. Like at least some of them were good at sports, video games or school, or maybe they were like a musician. I really wasn't any of those things. And it was kind of weird for me at that age to be that self-aware to realize I need to find something I'm actually good at. But that age, I realized it was business is what I enjoyed. I enjoyed the the art of telling some kid to go do this while I was cleaning the golf balls because no one else wanted to do that while someone was out there selling them or organizing them. Like I enjoyed that. Obviously, I could only sell used golf balls for a couple of years. When, once you're not cute anymore, golfers get mad if they see their initials on a ball that you're trying to sell them. And uh, we had that happen. Um, but anyway, so fast forward, and I, I got into, did some startup stuff and just really enjoyed that, working with teams, working in technology and real estate. Those were things I just really enjoyed. But when the economy wrecked back in whenever it was, 2007, 2008, right? Mm -hmm. Um, showing my age here as well, right? Like I was the first, like, okay. The first crash, yeah. The first crash, yes. I was like, I need to get into an industry that's not having trouble. My dad had been in the aerospace industry for many years. So I was like, hey, dad, are you struggling like, like I am doing this real estate stuff? He's like, oh no, aerospace is doing great. I was like, okay. 
I'm like, can you get me a job in aerospace? He's like, no, but you can go apply at some companies. And uh, I got in because of my last name. People saw my last name. They're like, oh, you're related to Andy. Yeah, you're hired. You know, that type of thing. And so I, I remember my first gig in, in aerospace was actually a part-time receiving clerk, which is code for I was emptying trash cans and breaking down boxes. But you know what? I did my best with that and just stayed curious. And over a 15-year period of time, I'd worked my way up through that organization, just really enjoyed it. And then more recently got into the entrepreneurial side of things, which is Podmatch in my podcast, Creating a Brand. But that's kind of like my whole history there. I hope that wasn't more than you were looking for. No, that's really, uh, you know, I know, I know Sid will want to weigh on this, but, you know, to be able to figure out what you're good at at 12, I mean, I don't think I figured it out until I was way past college, right? You know, and trying to figure out who am I, what do I excel at, what am I interested in? So the fact that you realized that in an early age and understood that you had that entrepreneurial side to you. I think it's really amazing, you know, uh, the idea of uh, being able to sell golf balls, you know, man, talk about entrepreneur right there, right, Sid? Yes. And Alex, what I love about that, the intro that you just shared your background is that you just like a lesson for all of us is just lean in on whatever you're doing and do it to the best of your ability. And to me, it's I'm sure you were thinking about where this could lead, but it's not getting lost in the dream, but like actually doing the job and doing it well. I think there's like just even personal pride more than anything. It's funny you bring up the golf ball story because I think there might be something about selling golf balls on a golf course and entrepreneurs because my cousin actually also grew up on a golf course. And I remember like hanging out in like the woods with him and like a ball would land in the like in the rough and he'd dart out and grab a ball and then he'd, he'd go and sell it. And he ended up becoming a serial entrepreneur as well and has been pretty successful in Austin. So I think there's something in the, the golf ball story, selling golf balls that, that we should look into Jesse as a DNA of, you know, smart entrepreneurs. But, you know, um, Alex, you, you kind of talked about your kind of ascendance in the aerospace industry. You were really killing it, having worked your way up all the way to an executive position. And you've talked about this, but I'd love for you to just share what motivated you to really just like to say, OK, I'm going to leave a good thing that's been a part of your life for 15 years to start up something that's risky. And then frankly, like I, because of the work that you do now around branding, I'd love to know, gosh, did you just see like in a big corporate environment, like they could be doing things so much better, but the rigidness of a corporate environment, you know, is rigid really. And what lessons learned you got from that experience? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. It's a good place to jump into, Sid. So that 15 year span, obviously, like I, I started as a part-time receiving clerk, like I worked my way up over the years and there were some good years and some rough years. But the one thing that I always kept in common while I was there was the desire to learn. And I enjoyed that element of it. So for me, although I wasn't technically, I'm doing air quotes here, like an entrepreneur in those years, I still had that entrepreneurial mindset because I just kept on doing my best to better myself and to figure out how I could be better for the teams that I was leading or when I was not leading anybody, how I could be better to, to serve the person I was leading. And, and just help the whole organization succeed. So it was like a fun, for me, like I enjoyed it. The day I left was a bittersweet moment for me. I remember leaving being like, man, I can't believe I'm doing this. And like, I just kept reminding myself why, but I'm like, this is kind of sad to, to leave this organization. But at about year 10, the company went from privately held to a public organization, actually like traded on the Canadian stock market. We got, were bought out by some Canadians down here in, in Florida and uh, they were fantastic to work with. But what I realized during that transition of the 10-year period before that, when I started getting into leadership roles, if I had an idea on a Monday, by Friday, the whole organization could be trying it. 
And I wasn't like running it, right? You'd have to get the CEOs buy-in. There was still all that. It wasn't just like the Wild West or anything like that. Like, there was structure in it. But if everyone agreed, we just tried it and went for it. If it didn't work, we'd roll it back and we'd just try something else. And I really enjoyed being able to exercise what I consider that, that to be like an entrepreneurial mind, right? Like you, we could just flex that muscle and see what works, what didn't. It always helped the company grow year over year, not month over month always. Some ideas didn't work, of course. But I, I really enjoyed that element. I'll, I'll never forget it, that 10th year, or maybe it was the start of the 11th year, whenever it might have been, I had this idea to do something I thought would make the company more profitable. At this point, I was in like my, my really great role. So I had been leading the sales team for a while. At this point, I, I got promoted to a divisional director position. So I was overseeing the company's profit margins and processes. So making sure we're running profitably and doing it efficiently. And I had this idea that we could, I thought we could get a little bit more profit out of the month. And I was working with sales at that point. So we tried it. And we just blew our goals out of the water. And I, I didn't even get people's feedback because I'm like, this is not going to affect the CEO. It's not going to affect the CMO or anybody, right? I can go ahead and just do this. And so I did. And I brought it to the CEO's office. And I was like, man, we crushed it this month. Can you believe that? And he's like, yeah, the shareholders are furious. And I was mm -hmm. like, wait, what? I'm like, no, no, no. Like we made more money. We, we did it really well. And we'll do it again next month. He goes, yeah, but we didn't report that. We told them this is what, this is our projection of what we're going to do. And you blew that goal of the water. He said, they're all mad because they could have made more money selling the stocks because they could have actually said that we're expecting this much growth instead of a lower amount of growth. And in that moment, I realized that my days of feeling like I was an entrepreneur in that business were gone. I didn't turn into a bitter person. I still tried and applied myself. The company did continue to grow, but that was kind of the beginning of the end for me because I realized, that, you know what? I, I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. I, I like the feeling of, of being able to build and create something. At this point, this business hit the point where it was just so big and super healthy that it was just, it was a firm business. It needed people that were willing to be, for lack of a better term, more of a cog in the system. Someone was willing to just help it continue to grow at the pace that it was set to grow. And I just knew that wasn't for me. And it's for some people, that security is fantastic, but I just knew that's not the entrepreneur that, that I wanted to be because I, I felt like I wasn't one anymore for the first time. I'm, I'm just really, I'm loving that story, Alex, because I think that you've just hit the nail on the head on what it means to have an entrepreneurial mindset and like how to like then you know, understand what that means when you're in that environment versus the environment you're in. And I know we'd love to talk about like the work you're doing now, but before we do, I just wanted to ask you about, did you see on your team people who have that entrepreneurial mindset? And like today as, a, as an entrepreneur yourself, would you look for team members that you can like identify, ah, that person's got that kind of creative vision that I have too, and it's going to fit really well with me. And maybe you could talk a little bit about you know, identifying the entrepreneurial mindset in somebody else. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of the people that I, that I worked around, I, I saw that rarely. I did see like more of the creative mind. And those are people that we move into positions that had a, a lot of more, I don't want to say random. That's a terrible way to say it because it was a very structured company, but they were doing a lot of different tasks. And I found those creative types. They really enjoyed that because it was not the same thing every day. So part of it was in front of a computer, part of it was doing like inspections on manufactured goods that we were doing. Like people really enjoyed that. So I remember like moving people around but the people that I would consider to have a true entrepreneurial mind, they never lasted long. And not in a bad way. They just had another opportunity come up or they wanted to try doing something for their own for, for six months. And we had some people even come back. They'd come back later and be like, okay, that wasn't for me, but I, I tried it. And identifying it, I actually realized that the, the best type of employee that I ever had was the creative mind, but that wanted the structure of a big organization to work within. So maybe not like overly ambitious. And again, this is just the type of person that I found they worked really well. Some of them are the ones that, that they, they climbed the ladder a lot faster because one, they were creative, but not so much so that they're like, I can't wait to get out of here. Like they enjoyed the structure of it and us kind of putting them 
for lack of a better term, in the box and letting them kind of play in that box. So that's what I found to be like, the, and for that organization at least, that's what I found to be the best. And that's who I really sought out. Over time, I just learned how to do the interviews of to kind of figure out if they had that mindset or not. But I, I like the really creative type because I find that the people that just want to do the task and you tell them exactly what to do, long term, I, I don't know, is it, I, I can't stand seeing somebody who doesn't seem fulfilled from their work. And I found that those people just maybe didn't seem as fulfilled. And I mean, my advice to some people who work for me, like, why don't you go find a job that you really love? Go find something if you're going to do something like go find something you really love. And I think that if I could look back, this is me saying, I don't know what all my employees would say, but I don't know how many people had working for me over the years. Most of them would say that I was a really good person to work for and with because I, I like to do whatever I could to help them be more creative in the job that they had. That's a really, that's a really great insight. You know, what I've also, also found in managing teams, the employees that really stood out in addition to having that spirit of entrepreneurship, you know, wanting to problem solve was that they wanted to become an expert. They wanted to study the field and understand their position and understand their work and really took the time to try to, you know, really dig deep into what they were doing. And I always found that, you know, so motivating to, to, be able to work with people who are also invested in becoming an expert in their field, right? But I also found that, you know, kind of to your point, those folks weren't necessarily the next great entrepreneur. Like they enjoyed being part of a system and digging into the system, but where they weren't quite as fascinated in actually creating something, you know, they didn't want to step outside that that box. We know with you, Alex, that you've actually chosen to create a number of different things and start a number of different ventures and specifically around creating brand. And so we want to explore that a bit with you and, and you know, why you chose to create that as your platform, how you're building community around the concept of creating brand. How did you make that leap? And what was that like for you? And what are you trying to do with that community that you're trying to build? Yeah, so look, those last few years, that job, when I hit that, talking about the aerospace, going back to that, that last few years is when I decided that I was ready to move on. And I, I Sid and Jesse, I want to make sure I make this very clear. I am not like that lucky entrepreneur that just had the one idea and just crushed it, right? That was not my story. My story was a bunch of failed attempts. So what I want to make sure that listeners understand from this is I'm not the person who just tried one thing and it worked. I hit, I felt like I was hitting my head against the wall for a while. Let's put it that way. Cause I kept on trying things that didn't work. Like even I know you guys do some, some coaching and stuff like that. That was really hard for me to like be able to not keep clients. Once I had them, they seemed to stay, but going out after them, I just wasn't good at that. And then there, there was a bunch of different things I tried. I was like, all right, let me try a social media community. I'm going to see if I can build something on social media. Wasn't good at it. Couldn't stay focused. Like there was a lot of, and that, I'm just giving you two examples there, but there's a lot of examples where I just couldn't seem to get it right. So I want to make sure everyone understands that you're not more than likely people are not going to get this right in the first time, but keep on trying, do things, learn from it as you go. Like every experience I had, I don't look back at any of that and be like, man, I wish I wouldn't have wasted my time with that. No, I looked at it as a learning opportunity. It helped me become better. And honestly, if I didn't fail ever, I couldn't talk to normal people who fail all the time, right? Like it's actually an important part of succeeding is the failure along the way. So when I came to the idea of creating a brand, when I, I wanted to launch with a podcast, I just realized that what I had been trying to do was the art of creating a brand. And, and I'm going to give you two a little insight about me, a little insider information here. I'm not the most creative person in the world when it comes to like design and names and stuff like that. Like someone else would have come up with a really clever name for creating a brand. But I was like, oh, the domain's for sale. And there's no podcast called Creating a Brand. I'll take that. Can't think anything else anyway. So <laughs> that's something that I just decided that this is what I want to do. So I'm just going to call it that. And it's funny, right? When I launched, people were like, wow, you are very literal. 
I'm like, yeah, that's 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 how my mind works. So so yeah, that's why oh, I ended up with the, the idea of creating a brand and the, the podcast being that. And the whole idea was I wanted help for myself initially. I wanted to learn how to better understand how to create a brand for myself. So I just brought on people that could really speak to that point. And then I had a very quick change of heart when I realized there was a lot of people listening. I was like, you know what? I need to be doing this for the people that are here. So I, I created an avatar. And from there, I just really did my best to serve the person who I consider to be my most ideal listener and brought on people for them. And from there, I was able to start really making a name for myself in podcasting. And that's when I really got into the monetization side and things like that. But that's where it all began was with me launching a podcast and realizing that I needed to do so to serve other people. And that's what really helped me more than anything else. You know, you, you really shouldn't feel bad because you're talking to a guy who named his company literally after his own neighborhood because I couldn't <laughs> think of a better, literally a better name. I was thinking, well, I live next to the Arroyo Seco and I'm on the West Coast. So Arroyo West. And, um, oh, I and like I, it. Sounds <laughs> sounds classy. <laughs> That's, yeah, it sounds classy. Like you can put on some letterhead, right? Yeah. And I, and I also really appreciate you saying that, you know, um, not everything works out the first time because I was also very much in the same boat. You know, my first foot out the gate, and Sid knows this really well, didn't quite work out the way I anticipated it working out. But you, but the, the key thing is to learn from all that and to make better decisions next time. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think for a lot of folks who are considering entrepreneurship, they put so much pressure on themselves that they have to get it right the first time when really that is so rare, you know, to get it right the first time is so rare. Well, and that the best thing to do is just get out there, fail as fast as you can, get back up and then try again. And the whole point is that to try again, that there's a community out there, people who are in the same boat. And I, you know, your podcast, our podcast is really meant to, you know, help foster that community to provide that support network for others who are considering their first, their first big launch, I guess. You know, Alex, you talk about the art of being an entrepreneur, but what you also described is the science of being an entrepreneur, right? I mean, there really is an art and a science because the science is fail, fail forward, right? And like once you like experiment with something and all right, it doesn't succeed, that just means you're like one step closer to succeeding, frankly. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's funny because when we're thinking about this, like when you're a kid or when you are watching a kid grow up, like when they fall, when they're trying to learn how to walk, you're not like, okay, just stop. Just please stop. Like, you, you don't have this. You can't do it. Just stop. When they start trying to talk, you're like, quit mumbling. No one can understand you. You need to just stop. No, everyone encourages that behavior. At some point in our lives, we lose that. And I don't even know when it happens. And I'm not a psychologist. Maybe one of you guys could even weigh in a little bit more on this. But I don't understand when that transition happens of, okay, now it's not okay to fail anymore. Like, you're done with that. If you fail, you're a failure. You know, like, that's what a lot of people think. And it's just so not true. The truth is you're only a failure if you absolutely just stop something that you know that you're destined to do. If you just decide, I can't do this, I'm just going to stop. That's the only time that you become a failure. For me, it's all about, someone put this really well, actually. Her name's Sue Kinder, and she was a senior executive at Amazon and then at Google, and more recently, I think she was the CEO of StubHub. And she talks about choosing possibility. So she just chooses to have a mindset of possibility of what could happen. If this is the worst that could happen, fine, but maybe that'll lead me to something else. So she always had that mindset of possibility, and I've done my best to really adapt that into my own thinking as well, that, hey, even if I fail at these things that I've kind of gone all in on, that's fine. Hopefully it opens another door. I mean, I'm here doing my best to add value with Jesse and Sid and the whole Hack My Business audience. Maybe that could turn into opportunity later, right? Like maybe I can call these guys back up and they can help me get reconnected. If everything I'm doing fails right now, at the very least, I'm going to continue doing my best to just to show up and do what I know I'm supposed to do out of a place of service for other people. I think as long as I'm doing that and keeping that mindset, I don't think that I can truly fail. I might fail at something, but I'm not going to become that failure that so many of us are scared to become. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great distinction. Alex, I did want to circle back because you said something, you made an interesting point about when you're starting your journey about creating an avatar. And I know you meant it in the sense of the, um, you know, kind of a step as far as creating an online presence, but I was hoping that you could elaborate on that and the idea maybe from there, you know, moving into the, okay, how do you establish a persona for yourself and what that all means? Can you, so can you touch upon that a little bit further? Yeah, that's a great question, Jesse. As a matter of fact, this is where I consider to be like the beginning of branding to happen is this idea of an avatar. And I think I said this when we were offline, by the way, guys, like I'm not the like originator of most of my ideas. They're not necessarily original. Somebody taught me that I needed an avatar and said, hey, you need to have an ideal person. And I realized that's really the beginning of, of branding, marketing, all that. Like you have to know who you're serving. And so many of us, we want to say, well, what I'm doing is for everybody. And it's just not the case because if you have something for everybody, it's for nobody. So when I learned that, I was like, okay, I need to get really specific, like crazy specific. So I decided, okay, who is the, the avatar? So I made somebody fairly similar to me. I listened to podcasts to and from work while I was in the gym. So I was like, okay, so my avatar, I named him Adam. I gave him a name and everything. So Adam listens while he's on the way to the job that he's good at, but doesn't want to be at forever. And he has this idea. He has this side hustle that he's planning on starting. And he wants just to know how can he actually do that with while keeping his job so he can support his family, but at the same time, pursue this passion that he wants to pursue. So I just built that out in my mind. I built out that he was in his mid thirties, similar to me, right? Like I kind of built that out really similar just to make sure that, okay, but that's who I'm talking to. So I still this day will ask myself, okay, this is the guest I'm thinking about having. Can this guest actually talk to Adam in a way that Adam is going to appreciate it and learn something from it? And by being able to do that and getting very specific on who that person is, I was able to build my entire strategy around it. it here's an example. At first, when I launched my podcast, my episodes were like 45, 50 minutes which was a little long for, I, I thought maybe, but I was like, oh, it's, it's all good content. But then I thought about it. I'm like, well, if Adam's like me, he's got a 25 to 35 minute drive to work. I need to cut the episodes down to where he can listen on his drive because that's what he wants. That's what he's interested in. And some people were like, wow, that's kind of crazy specific. But I found my numbers start going through the roof. Completion rates went through the roof. And it's because I was actually really figuring out, honing in on who really is listening to my podcast. And again, now I can market and brand to that individual instead of being like, for everybody. Here you go, right? I now do everything I do for Adam, knowing that if I'm reaching him, I'm probably reaching other people that are very similar as well. There's there so many great lessons in that, Alex. I actually, as you were talking, it reminded me of a story. Um, so years and years ago, I worked for an organization that was primarily funded by Ted Turner. And I remember like having an opportunity to kind of, you know, staff him at a couple things when he was in DC and I was there. And eventually I finally got up the nerve to ask him about CNN and was there a, you know, like something in the air, like what made him like realize that, that the country was ready for a 24 hour news service. And his answer has stuck to with me through my like kind of life as an entrepreneur as well, which was, he's like, I went to work before the morning news came on and I came home after the late news was on. I wanted to watch the news when I had time. And I thought that was just such a brilliant comment because it's, he was his own Adam Right. And realize like that if it mattered to him, like it would probably matter to like millions of other people, too. And your Adam is just, you know, an example of so many other people who are looking for that specific type of information and in the time that you're doing it. Jesse mentioned we're starting up our own, you know, we're entrepreneurs in a project called Small Business Front. And when it comes to branding, you know, we'd love for you to just kind of Share with us what you share with other would-be entrepreneurs about what we should be thinking about in that first kind of like stage of branding your business. 
first off, that was a great story you shared, Sid. That was really cool. Really like drove home a lot of the points. So thanks for sharing that. Very interesting. Obviously, the guy hit it right, didn't he? So um, <laughs> he did okay. But you know, I'm not traditional when it comes to the idea of branding. And a lot of people assume I'm going to start talking about like the colors you should use on your website and your logo and the fonts. And truth be told, I'm not great at most of those things. Now, I do have people that are in my network that are really good at those things. What I'm better at is figuring out how to get what you're doing in front of your ideal client and then understand what it is before it's maybe time or before other people really even have that desire to do that. Because so many of us, we want to start with the logo and get the website perfect, have all these things launched. But the truth is, if what you're doing is going to help somebody and you believe it's going to help somebody, then by having it behind the scenes or behind the curtain, like that doesn't help them yet. The idea is to get in front of them as soon as possible and start testing it. So I just call an MVP, minimal viable product, right? Get it out there as soon as you possibly can. So my last two businesses, so one being Podmatch and the other one is a new service that's also for podcasters called Podcast SOP. When I launched both of those, neither of them had a logo. Like we had some branding, but like the colors we were using on there didn't even all match up. People were like, how can you be a branding person? I'm like, what I'm doing is trying to figure out, does this work? And does this serve people? Okay, now it does. So once you hit that point, you're like, okay, it, this is working. This is what people are looking for. Then I just start getting feedback from people. So I'm, I'm immediately about building a community around it and be like, hey, what color do you guys think? I really like this like royal purple we're using. What do y'all think? And so we were like, no, I hate that. Let's use this blue color. You start getting people involved in it and you let them be part of the creation process and the actual branding process. Now I'm not only helping people with some sort of product that they see a lot of potential in, as it continues to grow, but also they're able to look at it and be like, wow, I had some say in the actual design elements that went into this thing. Like the fonts are too small and they listened to that and they made them bigger, right? Like that type of thing was able to happen because you build a community around it from day one. So again, I take a little bit of a different approach and some people hate that, right? Another way you can do that is give people options. So I, I see a lot of people do this really well on social media when they're changing a logo or creating a logo. Say, hey, here's the three op options we're considering. Which do you like the best? And then people can actually, that are members of what you're doing or they're using your service or they want to use it when it comes out, they can have some buy-in with it. And I find when you do that, you build a brand so much faster, so much stronger than just let's hide it behind a curtain until it's ready and then open the curtain. Here it is. It's done. It's for everybody. It, it, the best thing you can do is just start putting it into practice is the way I say it. So have that MVP out there, get people involved from day one, start learning what they want. And from there, I think that's how you really start the whole branding and creating a brand process. I think that's really key, Alex, because, you know, I think for a lot of folks, what they can do is overthink, overthink the beginning, right? And they almost ignore their gut instinct. You know, everybody has this kernel of an idea within them, right? And I think this is going to work. I think this would be of interest. And then often at that point is when they kill it, either by saying, but I need to research the heck out of it before I decide to take any step forward because of the risk that's involved instead of just kind of doing it in a smaller stage, which is what we're doing something very similar with small business front, you know, in pretty much the same way, developing an MVP and really kind of taking it step by step. Like we're not going, we're not spending a whole lot of money right away. We're not doing, you know, a whole lot of fancy stuff. What we've done is say, here's an initial take. What do you think? And I kind of call it the, what do you think stage of things, right? You know, let us show you what we're working on. Let's get your input at this very early kind of concept and then make adjustments based on you, which we believe is our potential market. And so it's really, I mean, it's actually really assuring. I know Sid, if you feel the same way, they kind of hear someone else who's doing a, a different type of venture, but kind of approaching it the same way. And I wonder if this is also because we've, we've all three of us have learned, 
right from past mistakes maybe not to necessarily rush into anything and to take it easy but get a whole lot of feedback before we start rolling out anything really kind of complex from there but it's really great and great to hear you share your your perspective on this launch would love to learn more about podmatch and how you're you know the design of it how you're actually doing the actual facilitation of kind of the matchmaking can you share with us some more as far as how how that's all working yeah, so Podmatch, real quick, just so listeners understand, it is a service that connects podcast guests and hosts together. So not listeners, but actually people who want to be a guest on a show and the actual hosts themselves. So that's what the service is doing. It's automatically matching those people together. Very similar to how like an online dating app works. It just uses an algorithm based on just under 40 pieces of different criteria it's looking at and determining if something's a match or not. It's not always right, just like a dating app, but it's pretty close most of the time. So that's kind of the idea of what we decided to build. And that came out of naturally out of creating a brand. I just had a lot of podcasters in my network. I was responding to a need that I saw. And so, yeah, so we launched it. And to at first, I didn't know what to do, which was funny. And so for me, again, not being a guy who's just going to try to reinvent the wheel, the first thing I did is talk to a friend who I know who's single and very active on dating apps. And I was like, hey, next time we hang out, can I use your dating app? And I didn't give him any context. I've been married for nine years. So I like got over. I'm like, hey, can I use your dating app? And he's like, sure. So I was using Hinge is what the one is called that he was using at that time. And he's like, everything all right, man? Like, why are you using a dating app? <laughs> and I was like, I've got this idea for podcasters that I think can work similar to this. And he was kind of like, oh, that's good news, man. He goes, I was a little concerned when he wanted to like look through all these girls on this dating app. I was like, well, I'm like, I'm not really looking at them because I, I realized I was actually messing up his algorithm because I was scrolling past saying that, I, I was just testing it. Let's put it that way. So I messaged the wrong girls and passed on the wrong ones as well, apparently. So anyway, but that was the whole idea. Instead of me reinventing them, I'm like, okay, let's see what a dating app is doing. And can we build something similar to this? So I just started diving into what they're doing. I even started looking up people that were on their team that were developing that software on LinkedIn, just to see if I can get connected with these people and figure out, okay, how do you get girls on them? Because apparently that was the hard thing to do. I'm like, okay, maybe that's like a podcast host because they're harder to get on. Than, like every guest wants to be on it, of course. How do I get a host to show up? So like just started asking people these questions and trying to learn it. And that's how we came up with, again, the 40 different pieces of criteria that actually do the matching. And it's everything from like, it takes bio into consideration. There's tags, of course, like most websites have. There's things like availability, language, gender. I mean, all kinds of things basically go into this, this algorithm, if you will, and just kind of start spitting out matches based off that. But again, we just decided, hey, somebody who's doing this right is an app like Hinge. Let's see how we can apply this to podcasting, see if it works out. Hey, Alex. I mean, one of the things that I'm just like loving about this conversation is your ability to just pioneer things on your own. But I oftentimes think that there's always somebody or people who are kind of there for us to help us along the way. Do you have your own mentors, like kind of, you know, entrepreneurial mentors that you rely on for for assistance as you're kind of thinking through ideas? Oh, of course. I mean, I've got them from because we're talking about Podmatch right now, I'll talk about from that. There's a guy uh, by the name of Harry Durham. And he is on, he has a podcast called Podcast Junkies, which is a great name for a podcast. And it's just about like podcasters and stuff like that. But he reached out to me. Actually, I reached out to him early on because I just knew that he had worked with tech startups before. And I was like, hey, any chance I could get like a 10 minute call with you? Just want to meet you and just run some ideas past you. And fast forward now a year and a half, the guy and I have had a call every month. It's about an hour long. And I just listened to him. He just pulls things apart that I'm doing, which is what I want. It's exactly what I want him to do. He's like, about this? Have you thought about this? Have you ever seen this service before? Have you been on this website? And just doing that. And also I can bounce ideas off. Like initially one of my big problems was when support tickets started coming in faster than I could respond and having a team, I'm like, how on earth do I train people quick? 
And he was able to bring some great guidance in that. Without him and without, there's a handful of other people as well that like I just look up to as mentors. Without those people in my life, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now. There is absolutely no way having a coach, having somebody that you can chat with will, I mean, pay dividends like year after year, month after month. I could not imagine doing what I'm doing without some of these people in my life and Harry being one of them. That's how I feel about Sid, you know, (laughs) 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 where would I be without Sid in my life? And our producer, Barcy, who's also an entrepreneur, you know, the text messages of, did you see this current trend? Are you, what would you do in this situation with this particular client? How did you respond when you're having to juggle three projects and you now need to get something else out the door? There's nothing more, more helpful, I think, than being part of a community of other entrepreneurs who've been there, done that, because uh, only they truly understand the pain, right? Jesse, you're not just, you're also missing all the, the, the text messages of me, like, kind of gloating when the, the Padres beat the Dodgers. Too. That's true. So, that's very true. Yeah. That's let's, also, like, make sure that's part of it, Well, that too. just fills me with rage, and it forces me <laughs> to work harder. Hey, every you great know. person in your life is going to do that, right? Exactly. You know, another way you can learn stuff, like, I love podcasts. I'm just going to talk about Jesse and Sid and hack my business real quick. You guys had an episode that I listened to. It was from last year, actually, and it was called Managing Time to Maximize Business Development Opportunities. And for me, like in the business I'm in, I can get stuck in the weeds just like we all can. So I was like, how on earth do I do that? Right. So I, I saw the title of it and I listened to it and I learned a lot from it. That's a great indirect way to have like a mentor in your life because both of you earlier today, that was actually when I was listening to that, the two of you served as a mentor in my life earlier today without even realizing it. And that's kind of the power of podcasting as a podcaster, I have to say it. So, but thank you for that content. It was brilliant. Everyone should go listen to that. That makes me feel so good <laughs> just to hear that compliment. Thank you, Alex. I'm, I'm really curious. You know, right now, you, I mean, you're still building the uh, the new enterprise, right? So, how do you how are you defining success now? And you know, do you set milestones for yourself? Are you trying to re- reach certain benchmarks? You know, how do you how do you kind of I guess assess your progress these days? Yeah. So, I mean, I, growth is obviously important to monitor and to track along the way. Early on, I didn't even know what those metrics would look like. We, we didn't have a baseline. So, for the first few months, especially, I had no idea. It was just get the product to where the people that are using it want it to be, if that makes sense. So we were asking them all, all on the way. They built the roadmap for us. Our members built the roadmap. And our whole goal was just get it to the point where they say that they want it to be. And when we started doing that, we were able to start seeing some financial projections, the size of the platform. And we actually find that the members, as they sign up, the revenue just seems to follow suit with it, which is great. It, it works really well for us. So basically, the goal by the end of 2021 is to have 25,000 people on the platform and about probably two-thirds of them being podcast hosts is what it looks like, and the other one-third being guest, which is great opportunity for guest, obviously. And we'll kind of see how those numbers level out, but we find that that will bring in about as much MRR as total people we have. Like $1 per person is basically what it comes to be because we have a free membership and we have a paid membership as well. And we have some other ways that we're working to monetize that to, to increase that in the future. But for us, everything has to start with value and serving the people that we set out to serve first and foremost. So we always, we, this is like one of the things we say in our company, it's me and there's five of us working here now, is that we are going to be people of service, not of profit. So we seek to add value, not to add profit. We feel like profit is a byproduct of what we're doing to serve the people that we've been enabled to serve with what we're doing. I think it's just fascinating. You can see how your your aerospace engineering background comes into play. And I don't know if you've even you know noticed that, but the, your analysis, right, of the leading indicators for your business, how it ties into the bottom line, like your application of that and understanding, you know, one thing to go with gut as far as like starting the business, but then you actually apply your analytical mind to it and you know exactly what's required in order for you to generate growth. I think that's also a really key lesson for others out there. 
you know, being able to apply your own professional experience to your entrepreneurial, your entrepreneurship venture and making sure you understand the fundamentals of why things are working or why they're not working. I think that's also really important. You know, Alex, we ask everyone to share at least one hack on our show. It can be personal or business related or both. And you've actually entire conversation today has been one hack after another. So rather than asking you for one, I'm just going to ask you for another that comes to mind for you. (laughs) Yeah. So as it's, thank you. First off, I appreciate that. So as it's relating to what we're talking about and things like that today, when I wasn't doing well, like with my startups and trying different things, right? I call them startups here, like side hustles and just fail project after attempt just wasn't working. I realized what the actual the actual like key was for me. This is a great hack I feel for people. Instead of trying to come up with ideas to build a business, find a passion that you have and then find people within that passion and do your best to serve them by asking, what are you struggling with? It wasn't until I got that that I started work, making things work. So when I launched the podcast, this is an example of that. When I launched the podcast, creating a brand, I started getting on platforms. I started talking on just about every conference stage there was for podcasting. I was going to meetup groups, all those things. And then I realized that I'm really passionate about podcasters. I love these people. So I had the idea, actually, again, not for me. Someone else was like, you should ask them what they're struggling with and see if you could make a solution for it. I'm like, great idea. So I started asking them, hey, what are you all struggling with? And I continuously heard, I'm having trouble finding the right guest to be on my show. And I heard that again and again. And instead of me trying to come up with an idea of thin air to build a business, to get out of a nine to five job that I didn't want anymore. Instead, I said, you know what? I'm going to build a solution to serve the people that I care about with what they're asking me to build for them anyway. Like I just had to really process that. And when I did that, it made the whole process, it seemed really fluid. Like it, it just flowed really nice. The way I like to imagine my mind is it's the difference between somebody who's like water skiing and going like off a jump. Like that's a lot of friction, right? That's pretty tough. Are they going to land? Who knows? Like what's going on versus somebody riding a longboard back in on a nice big wave, like here in, in Florida where I'm at, like they just kind of ride the whole thing and they coast. That's how I felt like I was doing a business versus again, just trying to hack my way through it. Instead of doing my, my hack, if you will, is just to follow in the natural progression, find what you're passionate about, find the people in that, ask them what they're struggling with, and then create a solution for that problem. And when you do that, I think that things will flow a lot better for you. Great advice, Alex. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and sharing some of your story, background around uh, the founding of podmash.com. I definitely want to encourage everyone to check out your podcast, Creating a Brand. I've been learning a lot just by the guests you've had on the show uh, on things all about creating a brand and you know being true to yourself and how to turn your idea into a new venture. But just really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your wisdom with, with all of our listeners and, and with us because we've learned quite a bit just from our short conversation. So just Thank you so much, Alex, for being with us. And, and how can we connect with you, Alex? Yeah, first off, Jesse and Sid, thank you so much for having me. This is an honor. I mean, Hack My Business is a great podcast. So like, it was a great opportunity for me to be here. And I'm so thankful your listeners for tuning in this far. If anyone's interested in connecting with me, everything I do is at creatingabrand.com. And that's where you can find Podmatch. You can find my blog, my podcast. Everything I'm doing is right there. But really, Jesse and Sid are going places. Stick with these guys. But again, thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. The last thing I just want to say, Alex, is one of the best things about the podcasting is this community of new people that we get to connect with. I really hope that we can just stay closely connected because it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I I would love that. Thank you. If you need help and want to be a part of our community and find resources to grow your business, join us at our website at smallbusinessfront.com. We'd love to see you there. Have a great day and we'll catch you next time on Hack My Business.